Wow, that felt. You know what? That was so natural. Thank it was just like it it's like we're like not even I, recording. Like I say that all the time <laughs> in everyday conversation. I will say, I don't know how you're feeling, but I am like very anxious about having to be social on a regular basis again because that is mm. coming up in like the foreseeable future. Um, and I already stressed out quite a bit about small talk prior to this and it's gonna it's just not gonna be good I can already feel it it's not gonna I'm it's not gonna work (laughs) um just wear really dark sunglasses and headphones all the time and then I think people will just like leave you alone okay god I I think that's maybe worth trying or like I don't know you could stop bathing (laughs) and then no one would want to be around you I don't know. You have options. Yeah, these you are definitely good. have options. Good suggestions. <laughs> I'm going to take these into um, consideration. Thank yeah, you. it's been so nice in Denver. It was like 70 degrees yesterday. Oh my I God. have sunburn. Wow. I went to the park. It was amazing. It is not like that. It's It's been sunny and nice, but a little chillier than that. Um, <laughs> but good for you. I'm glad that you are experiencing the warm glow of, of yeah. the sun. Yeah. Largest and star <laughs> I don't know. Uh, speaking of really amazing things happening in nature, I know you had oh a God. run-in with a bird over the weekend, and I would love to hear about this. Really, <laughs> dude. Yesterday was like a mess of a day. Okay, so I don't think I've told you this, but I've been doing a DoorDash for like a couple weeks. Just because... Oh, you're, like, you're like delivering food. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, nice. It's fine. Um, but I've been doing it because at the election board where I was working, I'm just working part-time now because, like, obviously there's no election happening. And I can't really get, like, a regular job because I'm moving. And also, just with, like, schoolwork... It's hard to schedule, you know? Anyway. Yeah. Um, and for the most part, it's been all right. But, like, yesterday I went and I had to pick up an order from Red Robin. And prior to this, I did not have any issues, truly, with Red Robin, other than I didn't go there very much. But it's fine. So I show up, and they don't have it ready, which is fine. Sometimes that happens. Ten minutes goes by, still not ready. Another 10 minutes, still not ready. Yeah. (laughs) I had to wait inside of a Red Robin um, for 50 minutes before I got this food. And I know, which is frustrating because then you're like losing money basically. Um, Sure. So that was insane. And while I was sitting there, people kept coming in and being like, hi, like table for three or whatever. And it was an hour wait to eat inside of a red robin. That's crazy. And people were doing it. <laughs> we're waiting an hour, we're you waiting mean? waiting an hour to eat at a red robin. I will say, I've not red robin, but I've definitely waited an hour, maybe at like an olive garden in my past. <laughs> I, I wouldn't oh, doubt God. it. Maybe an O'Charlie's. Um, but I'm usually the one that like, well, I'll be like, yeah, let's put our name in and then leave and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. That's usually mm-hmm. my move. Sure. <laughs> sure. 
Totally. So you got pooped on by a red oh, robin. Oh, no. Okay. So, t- wow. Birds and me not getting along <laughs> yesterday. So then I leave, and um, as I'm leaving, a, a literal bird literally shit on my head. And Were you wearing a hat by chance? Obviously not. Um, okay. Well, and so then I just had fur poop on my head. Luckily, I had some paper towels in the car because uh, Wally, my dog, sometimes vomits in the car. So I just have those on hand. But then, so then I had to, like, come home. I just had to, like, stop and come home and take a shower, which was just, like, ugh. So anyway, that happened, um, which was not great. But I will say the night really turned around because Joe and I did a double feature movie watching night we watched two movies um just the two of you or like a backyard thing oh just the two of us okay nice and well our dog was there wally right obviously (laughs) (laughs) um we watched oh my gosh we watched this movie is insane have you seen it it's called i care a lot okay I've watched, like, the first 20 minutes, and the person that I was with was like, I don't want to watch this anymore. What? So, so it was Okay, Aurelia, sad you, you at need the to beginning. question if that's someone you need to have in your life, because <laughs> this movie is amazing. Okay, I will finish it. I'll probably watch it tonight, because I don't really have anything else going on. It's so good. Rosamund Pike is the uh, main character, and she won the Golden Globe for it. Um... So it's really good, and it's I, – I really, like, I don't even want to give too much away because I didn't know anything about it going into it, and I think that really helped. But it's kind of, like, con artisty. That's the genre for you. Right. But it's, like, and everyone in it is so good. Peter Dinklage, so good. Uh, the guy from Chris Messina, he plays, like, the lawyer, so good. Oh. Oh, my gosh. Okay, okay yeah, I'll watch it. I'll watch it's, it. It's amazing. And then we watched um, a different kind of girl power movie. Uh, so girl power double feature last night is what we did. But, um, yeah, then we watched Moxie, which is on Netflix. And it's the new – well, they're both on Netflix. And that's the new uh, – it's like a little teen flick directed by Amy Poehler. You said you watched it. I did watch it because Katie was like, you need to watch this movie so <laughs> I that we can to, talk about it tomorrow. <laughs> And I was like, okay, well, I have nothing else going on. So mm-hmm. I did watch it. I, I did like it. I really liked the message. I think it's great like to have an empowered teen character where the sole focus isn't like boys mm-hmm. or um, all of that. And I did like, uh, also, like I, would, I wish Amy Poehler was my mom. Oh, she's, <laughs> she's so cool. She's a cool she's mom. So cool. She, she really is a cool mom. Not a regular we mom. Really, we really came full circle there. Um, I, I did like it. Um, I felt like, not that this isn't totally inaccurate, but I had some feelings about the principal Mm-hmm. And feeling like probably a principal would maybe be a little bit more yeah, I, proactive and like receptive to the school issues that went on in the movie versus like ignoring them or, mm-hmm. you know, brushing them under the rug. And, and I'm sure that that does happen sometimes, but I felt like sort of the serious nature of some of the things mm-hmm. was a little 
I think I maybe for me, it's like the principal was like a goofier version of the dean in Promising Young Woman. Because like that very much, what happened with that dean is very much what does happen. And so I think that's like the more accurate version of it. And this is just like the teen comedy over the top version of it. So yeah, sure. I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, I really loved the the main girls. Uh, first of all, I loved all the, f- the female friendships in it. Big fan. Love women supporting women. Um, and all of the kids were, like, so cute. And I especially loved her little boyfriend. Oh, my God. Oh. Me, too. It was, like, he, adorable. Perfect. He, Perfectly he cast. Like he's, he looked it. familiar. I feel like he was in something else oh that gosh, I, like, I wonder watched. if he was. We should look that up. Um, and I love that he's not, like, I mean, he's super cute, but I would say not, like, the typical, like, male yeah, crush. In right. The, right. Um, yeah. yeah. And I, I just loved really good. that even more. And it was very inclusive, uh, very inclusive film, which is important so oh he was in book smart it says i don't know who he was in book that, smart that he was like one of the kids in the bathroom at the beginning mm-hmm. when she's like when they're like talking about the colleges that they all got into like the cool popular oh, kids yeah, yeah, he yeah. doesn't have like a huge part but but you, that's that's where you yeah, recognize that's him that's definitely um, what it's from book smart also another fantastic Ugh. film I, so I mean, you know what I, I, I don't know about you. I love, like, teen films, like, little high school films. And maybe it's because I taught high school. There's, like, an added element. I don't know. I like them, too. But I love it's a good like high school. It's always fun. And, yeah. like, it usually ends up, it ends nicely. And those yeah. are two important things for me as a movie watcher. <laughs> you know what I was going to say that I read? That um, uh, Olivia Wilde directed Booksmart. Yes. And she encouraged the two actors to live together. And they lived together for 10 weeks. Oh, my God. Which is, like, a long time. Yeah. But I thought that was, like, really cool. And I'm sure it made them more comfortable and, like, natural around each other. So um, Olivia Wilde is currently dating Harry Styles. Did you know that? Which? She and Jason Sudeikis have, like, (laughs) they weren't married officially. They have a kid. But they are now broke up and now she's dating Harry Styles like what a show okay so I only learned this because I recently watched Ted Lasso I haven't watched it yet you like it everyone loves it I really really liked it Jason Sudeikis is just like a sweet baby angel he's (laughs) really great in it um anyways I was like oh he's married to Olivia Wilde Mm -hmm. and then I like looked it up and I was like oh nope (laughs) that's wrong Um, but good, good for them. Yes. I mean, I do love Jason Sudeikis, though. I hope he's doing okay. He's, I think he's, like, dating a Ted Lasso co-star. Some, like, blonde girl. So. Let's see. I think he's doing all right. Um. Okay, well, I'll look into it. I'll (laughs) let everyone know. Okay. Okay. Um, cool. Speaking of, I mean, Olivia Wilde, love her, wonderful lady. We've talked about a few different ladies, but you had a lady of the week that you were going to share? Um, yes. With with us? Yes, definitely. Um, okay, so let me pull this up here. 
The lady of the week that I have, her name is Christina Pazko. I believe that's correct. She's a high school student in Poland, and she heard about the rising reports of domestic violence during the pandemic. And she created a website. Um, It's a fake online cosmetics shop that victims can use at home to request help while appearing to be shopping online. When they open a chat, they're connected with a psychologist rather than a salesperson. And if they place an order with their address, it's really requesting authorities to come to their home. So I just thought that, like, wow, listen, I know. She just <laughs> did that? A high school yeah. kid? Yeah. And she, her idea won, like, $12, a $12,000 mm-hmm. grant Wow. from, from the European Union. European Union. Is that crazy? I just think that's great. Yeah. And what a way to like help other women. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And And men. I mean, every, I mean, anybody can be affected by domestic violence. Absolutely. Um, And I don't know if you like did this on purpose, but that's perfect uh, for our guest this week. Um, Because Shaughnessy, our guest, is a lawyer who works with victims of sexual assault and abuse. So, good job. Good connection. Thanks. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, speaking of TV and movies, I watched... I'm, like, a big RuPaul's Drag Race fan. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I watched... The episode on Friday was the Snatch Game episode. And Fine. there were some good, there were some good uh, characters. Let's see, the the per. Okay, so I'm gonna do some spoilers. So okay, sorry. Spoil- spoily alert. Do do do. We need to come up with like a sound. Spoiler. <laughs> I mean, also we have talked about like several movies at this point. Uh, I don't think we gave away any like major spoilers though. No, I don't think so. Um, the queen that won was Gottmik, and. She was Paris Hilton, and it was so good. It was, like, a really good Paris Hilton, which I think sometimes lower energy impersonations can be hard because you're not, like, you know, it's harder to raise the stakes at that Mm -hmm. lower energy, but she did a great job. Nice. Um, There was a Bob Ross that was pretty bad, actually. Oh, no. I know. Um. Yeah, it was good. I I Snatch Game is my favorite. Yeah, that's because it's like it's the best. Didn't someone, someone did uh, Jonathan Van Ness? Did I see that right? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, that was really funny. Very good. I'm trying to think of who else. Um. Oh, there was <laughs> Rose. She's like Scottish. Like she has Scottish like heritage, and she was Mary Queen of Scots. That's and, funny. like, wore the whole, like, <laughs> old school get up yeah. and everything. It was good. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I did some cooking this weekend. Okay. I made ramen. Yum. I love. For the first time ever. I love making ramen. I've never made it before. I oh. went to the, I know. I went to the Asian grocery store, like, mm-hmm. two weeks ago and got ramen, like, fresh ramen noodles. Mm-hmm. And then I, 
let's see. I, I had a rotisserie chicken, so I put some of that in there. Yum. And Perfect. then chicken stock and aromatics, like in the broth. And, and then I topped it with, like, corn and edamame, and it was so good. That does sound really good. I, I have found that, so, like, I made ramen one time and made some other, like, Asian dish that between the two of them required me to get, like, uh, sesame oil and, um, like, sambal olek and, like, chili paste and all these different things. And now that I have them, like, in my pantry, I just make it a lot more because it's like, well, now I have all this stuff. Um, yeah, and it's actually a pretty – I think it's, like, a pretty easy weeknight dinner. So if people are it is. looking for something. It's, yeah, it's very easy. It's much easier than you think. Yes, yes, um, truly. I would – yeah. Okay. Um, speaking of recommendations, we have some businesses to promote. These, once again, are former guests of the podcast um, who own their own businesses, and we want to support them. So that's what we're doing. Um, <laughs> and, and that's that. that. And that will start <laughs> right now. Uh, <laughs> okay, so first up, we have Melody Box. Co, which is the songwriting business owned by Josie Brown and Sarah Ullman. And they sang a beautiful song on the oh, on their episode. So I mean, Aurelia and I were truly like crying by the end of it. Yeah, it was really very special. If you didn't listen to that episode, like please go back, listen. The work that they do with their music therapy is amazing, but then also the songwriting, so good. So um, if... Maybe you want to get someone a song as like a gift, a beautiful gift. You can go to their website, melodyboxco.com, and all their info is there. Yeah. Uh, next is Blush and Blossom. Blush. <laughs> Blossom. Um, Blush and Blossom Events, uh, which is owned by Amber Lamkin and... Mm-hmm. It's a wedding planning and uh, event designing business. Um, and her website is blushandblossomevents.com. Mm-hmm. And now that, you know, pretty soon, full weddings are going to be back back in the swing of things. I know some people have been doing, like, full weddings this whole time, but we're not acknowledging <laughs> that choice. Um <laughs> Okay, and last recommendation, uh, we had Laura Thompson on the podcast, and she is a financial planner uh, who works in Evansville, Indiana. So if you're in Evansville and you're like, hey, I would like some financial planning, some help with finances, she would love to meet with you. She works for Northwestern Mutual, so you can give her a quick Google and find her that way. Um, and she gave us her email, so if if you want to be connected to her. You can reach out um, through our social media and Aurelia will give you her email as well. But it's Laura Thompson. Yes, I will. Uh, Well, uh, as Katie mentioned earlier, we have a really incredible guest this Mm -hmm. week, Shaughnessy. Um, She is a lawyer that works, um, she used to work in like the human trafficking uh, world for the state of Indiana, mm-hmm. um, or Marion County, yeah, I Marion think, County. specifically. And uh, now she works with victims of uh, sexual abuse. And 
it's a great episode. She has her own podcast too, so definitely encourage you to check that out. Yeah, and we'll put the uh, name of that in the little description for the podcast, along with the websites that we mentioned earlier. So, yep, it's a really good one. I could have talked to her forever. I hope, I really hope that people like get as much out of it as we did. Welcome, everyone. Today we have a very special guest. Uh, we have Shaughnessy Terrell, who is a sexual abuse attorney here in Indianapolis, joining us today. Welcome, Shaughnessy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. We're excited. <laughs> We're, we're always, everyone's always excited on, on the show, at least when we start, who knows by the end of the interviews, uh, could be, could be different. Um, okay. So like we were telling you before we started recording, uh, we have a game that we're going to play and, um, I don't, have you, have you, before we like play the game, have you seen SVU? Like, are you a well, frequent viewer or is it kind of like, I don't want to even watch cause it's like too close too close to home no I don't get like that I mean I think I watched it pretty religiously like 20 years ago when it first started and so I've not seen it in like a really really long time but my mother watches multiple episodes a day so this is like the stuff I mess it up she's probably gonna be like really mad at me if she listens (laughs) I also had an SVU phase like pretty intense especially when we started um being shown on USA I would like Mm -hmm. All the time. Oh, yeah, that, the that, marathons. Yeah, yeah, the marathons. They make it so easy. So, mm-hmm. yes, I I haven't watched it in a few seasons at this point, but I feel like I've seen so many episodes, <laughs> regardless. But okay, so the game is as most like viewers of SVU are aware, um, a lot of people guest star on SVU, like a lot of celebrities, either before they're famous or just for like fun cameos, they mm-hmm. they come through. So I've got a few uh, character descriptions and then I'm gonna tell you two celebrities and you guess which of the celebrities played this character on SVU as a guest star. <laughs> Um, and this is from Esquire.com. They had an article. So, um, okay, here we go. Which actor played a seemingly charming lawyer dealing with a client accused of raping undocumented immigrants, but in the end, it's revealed that the client's wealthy family was paying off the lawyer to cover for the rapist all along. Was it... Bradley Cooper or Paul Rudd? I didn't know either one of them was on that. I'm gonna say <laughs> that's I think, I think it might be. I'm trying to think if either of them are like a. Well, I guess SVU isn't shot in. Well, it is shot in New York. It's in New York. Um, I'm gonna say Bradley Cooper, although I, I don't. Ugh. I'm with you. I think it's Bradley Cooper too, but like, we'll see, I guess. Okay. The answer is Bradley Cooper. Yes. He played this slimy, sorry, slimy lawyer, but um, (laughs) he was 
you know, covering up for people. That's not good. Um, okay. Next one. Here we go. Who played the daughter of a convicted murderer who it turns out he was framed at 19 years old? Who played his daughter? Was it Scarlett Johansson or Zoe Saldana? Jeez. I'm going to say Scarlett Johansson because I know she was like a child actor and I think she's based in New York. Just to um, spice it up, I'll pick Zoe Saldana. Nice. Uh, the answer, Zoe Saldana. Damn. Yes, that's a guess. I picked, uh, so then I picked Scarlett Johansson to go with her because they're both in the Marvel movies. I tried to pick people that kind of went together other than Bradley <laughs> Cooper and Paul Rudd. I couldn't figure one out, but okay. Uh, so this next one, which of uh, Rory's boyfriends on Gilmore Girls also played a supposed victim of sexual abuse by his stepfather as a kid, but it turns out he was actually involved in a secret incestuous relationship with his cousin. Was it Milo Ventimiglia, who played Jess on Gilmore Girls, or Jared Padalecki, who played Dean on Gilmore Girls? I'm hoping you've seen Gilmore Girls. I have. I've, okay. I'll, I'll go with Jared Padalecki. Okay. Aurelia? Yeah, I think that's who it is too, actually. The answer is Milo Ventimiglia. Oh, I was huh. surprised as well. I also don't remember any of these episodes, so <laughs> clearly. I feel like I've watched a lot. Oh, I wow. wonder if these were all before any of them are famous, so we're just not even thinking about it because they're from like 1998 or something. Some are and some aren't. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Some aren't, some aren't. Like Milo Ventimiglia, I think, had already been on Gilmore Girls when he did this, oh, but shit. I probably wasn't watching SVU when I was watching Gilmore Girls. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, we've got a couple more. Um, which former Disney Channel star played a young and seemingly irresponsible mother whose daughter dies of measles after being exposed to an unvaccinated child? Was it Hilary Duff or Raven Simone? Hilary? <laughs> I'm like, gonna go Raven Simone. I don't know, man. Like they were been famous <laughs> since they were little, so you think that that would be like, oh, I remember this. Nope, I got nothing. Um, well, okay, Hillary, I guess I just don't. I... <laughs> the answer is Hillary Duff. Yes. Oh, my goodness, I am really bad at this. <laughs> this is bizarre. <laughs> I'm very surprised. It's okay. Can't be good at everything. That's right. I wouldn't be getting any of these right either. Okay. Which professional athlete plays an unwitting internet porn victim whose case leads the detectives to the unsavory inner workings of a college fraternity? Was it Rhonda Rousey or Serena Williams? Oh, for God's sake. Um, these are very interesting. Did you make up the um, two to guess from? <laughs> no, that's also from Esquire. This is a copy and paste situation. Uh, um, I'm gonna say Rhonda Rousey. I'm I'm gonna, I'm with you. I'm gonna go with Rhonda too. I feel like. Well, let's hear what Katie says <laughs> first before <laughs> the answer is Serena Williams. Oh, you know what I was about to say? I was about to say. I think I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
JK. Okay, I only have one more for you. Thank God. <laughs> All right. Which former Full House star played a jealous husband whose wife cheats on him with a married man? Was it Bob Saget or John Stamos? I think this John is Stamos. You both say John Stamos? Okay. This one was kind of a trick question because the is Bob Saget. Oh. But John Stamos has uh, been a guest star on SVU. He played a lawyer slash master oh, manipulator who had fathered at least 20 children. Okay. And I do remember that, that episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, remember. An arc, I feel like that was like an episode. Yeah. Yeah. Was that okay. episode was crazy. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. Okay. Well, well, I think that Shaughnessy won. So. <laughs> I'm cutting my losses. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much for uh, bearing with us through that, going down the memory lane of SVU guest stars. Um, luckily, now the rest of <laughs> the interview is about stuff that you like genuinely know about. So, <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> not putting you on the spot quite as much. Um, Okay, Shaughnessy, we always start with the same two questions, which is what did you want to be when you grew up and what do you do now? I wanted to be a lawyer, actually. I knew from a young age that's what I wanted to do and I did it. I guess some <laughs> days I'm glad and some days I'm like, what the hell is I thinking? But uh, here we are. That's, that's fair. So what made you want to be a lawyer? Like, did you, were your parents lawyers or you saw it on TV or you just kind of like had a really strong sense of justice as a, as a child? Um, well, I come from a blue collar family. So I was the first one in my family to even go to college, but let alone to go to post-secondary school. But, you know, when I was really little, um, my parents were always like, oh, I think every parent who has a smart ass kid is like, you should be a lawyer. You're not going, <laughs> you know? And so Fair. there was all that. But I have a distinct memory when I was in like the sixth grade, um, my friend, her parents are divorced and I'm taking you down memory lane here, but her dad was kind of not the greatest dad and kind of a deadbeat dad, honestly. And I remember walking into her house one day and her mom was like sitting on the living room floor and she just had papers spread all around her on the floor. And I was like, what are you doing? And he wouldn't pay child support. And she was trying to figure out how she was going to go to court and sue him for child support. And she couldn't afford an attorney. And I was thinking, this is bullshit. <laughs> I'm like, I was at a potty mouth already, probably did think actually that. And so I was like, that's not fair. I'm like, he should, he's, this is his child. He should have to take care of her. And this poor woman, you know, she worked two jobs and I was like, it's not cool. So I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to be a person who can help those people. And so that's why, that's where it started at least. And what kind of law do you specifically practice now? Well, now I am a sexual abuse attorney at the law firm of Cohen and Malad. So essentially what I do is I sue perpetrators and negligent parties in civil court on behalf of survivors of sexual abuse or assault. So perpetrators, if they have any assets or anything that we can actually collect from. And then when I say negligent parties, I mean like, it could be schools, churches, whatever types of organizations who enable child predators and um, kind of try to sweep things under the rug and oftentimes have a lot of notice that something's going on and they don't do anything about it. And because of that, perpetrators are able to continue molesting children. And so we, we go after them. 
So when I think of, and this is probably just because of like shows like SVU, when I think of, you know, like sexual abuse and them like going to court, I think of it in the, in terms of criminal proceedings. Mm-hmm. So how is that kind of different from what you do? Is that something that's happening like simultaneously or is this like criminal proceedings that work out? And so this is another avenue? That's a great question. Uh, Cause it is very different. So I was a prosecutor for a really long time before I came over and did this. So I prosecuted the same kinds of things, child molesting, basically any kind of sex crime with either a child or an adult victim and then um, ch- child abuse with uh, serious bodily injury or death. And then I did human trafficking for two years as well. I was the sole prosecutor in Indianapolis doing human trafficking cases. And so as a prosecutor, you know, you have, they're, they're juggling a lot. They have, you know, a lot of responsibilities and they have to make sure they're doing right by the victim who's right here in front of them. They have to make sure that they're holding the offender accountable, but they also have to also have to think about the next victim coming because more than likely there will be another victim if this person isn't stopped now. Cause generally speaking, you don't usually catch them the first time. So it's like more like acute issues right here, right now. And, you know, as a civil attorney, we're kind of looking down the road because a lot of people don't understand what the long-term effects of sexual abuse and sexual assault are on people. And oftentimes victims and survivors don't understand either. And I can't tell you how many times I talk to people who figure it out like 20 years later, they're like, oh, I've had this serious drug problem or I've had these mental health issues or just a myriad of different things. And it takes them a long time to connect it back. Um, And then by the time they do, um, oftentimes there's nothing we can do for them at that point in time. That's a whole, a whole other uh, can of worms. But um, so basically what we try to do is we try to make sure that there's something there, there's a system in place so that the perpetrator, the person who's responsible for this should be paying for some of that treatment down the line because it's expensive. We have a mental health issue in our country, in many ways, stigma and also cost. And it's, it's expensive. And I mean, I've had, I, I have clients whose parents have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars sending them to rehab and things like that over and over. And um, it's, it's ridiculous. They, it's absurd. They shouldn't have to be on the um, hook for paying for all of that when they didn't do anything wrong and somebody did this to them and then had all these effects that were so far reaching. Yeah, definitely. Um, so how do you kind of help the survivors navigate the this legal process because I imagine it's very overwhelming. Oh gosh, yeah. That and it actually didn't even answer all of your question before. So typically the criminal case is first and then the civil attorneys kind of wait for that to be over. If a civil attorney knows what they're doing, they should be waiting for it to be over. Uh, we've seen some more civil attorneys who don't know what they're doing try to start doing some of these cases and it's not good because they're just very, you have to, you have to understand um, the broader ramifications of sexual assault and not just the legal ones. But um, so basically what we try to do is we just sort of kind of wait kind of on deck until the criminal prosecution is over. If we absolutely have to file something, we will, because there are these arbitrary deadlines called statutes of limitation that um, cause a lot of problems. But we've been lucky in my practice because when I was a prosecutor, I also 
uh, was the resource prosecutor in domestic violence and sexual assault for the entire state of Indiana. So I traveled around to all of the counties and trained prosecutors and law enforcement officers on how to best investigate and prosecute these crimes. So I have, I know a lot of people. And so, the, you know, when prosecutors, they can be very distrustful of other people. Um, and so they know me, so they're kind of cooler with me and we don't have any of those issues. And they're like, okay, I know that she's not going to come in and F this up. Um, so oftentimes we're actually able to help them and maybe tell them about witnesses they didn't know about, things like that. But for the most part, you know, the, the survivor of the sex crime, the prosecutor's not their attorney. The, the community is. The, um, the prosecutor represents the people of the state of Indiana. Well, I represent you. So I am there for you and only you every step of the way. And I think that actually aids the prosecutors too, because we have the time to sit down and explain why things are doing, going the way they are and what could happen and help to prepare them for, you know, in a dozen different scenarios that the prosecutor oftentimes doesn't have time for because the volume of their caseload is so high. So we kind of do help shepherd them through the um, process. Um, any victim that you talk to has been through the criminal justice process will tell you that oftentimes it can be almost, if not harder than what they've already been through. It's harrowing um, and it re-traumatizes them oftentimes and it's completely unfair. And so we do our best to try to make that process as easy as possible on them. So we kind of sit in the wings and wait until the prosecution's over and then we kind of gear up and go. But civil litigation takes a lot longer than prosecutions do. Everything's taking forever right now because the courts were shut down. Yeah. For Is everything just through Zoom? Yeah, mostly. Um, they There were periods where they opened the courts back up and were doing trials, mostly criminal. I did hear of a few civil trials going, but um, then they closed it back down like toward the end of last year. And I think that they're not going to have any trials going until April. Um, so it's the whole system has just been... It's been insane. Wow. Just reminds me of that like Zoom video that got like leaked last week of oh. take the cat. <laughs> I'm I'm not a cat. It was so funny. Oh my god. I was like, I know about 15 people who I'm surprised that hasn't happened to. <laughs> That's funny. Um speaking of appearing differently than you are. Uh, we read that you, did you like that transition? We read that you participated in undercover investigations. <laughs> yeah. Can you tell us more about that? I was mostly just like on scene. Um, so when I was doing the human trafficking stuff, I was, I was actually in, embedded with the unit two days a week at least. So I was, I had an office in the um, undercover ops office itself and so I would go out with them to do things and then I'd be down at the prosecutor's office the other days of the week but then often we would do things on the weekends stuff like that and so they would be doing um stings in hotels where they would uh, have you guys ever heard of Backpage? it is mm -hmm. now defunct um it used it was uh it was like an online advertising thing sort of like craigslist I heard a federal agent call it Craigslist's creepy cousin once. And I was like, yes, no one's buying a freaking lawnmower on Backpage. Okay. You're there for one reason and one reason only. And so it got shut down, which is ultimately a good thing. But at the same time, that's where investigators often found victims. And right. so, cause they're not self-reporting most of the time, victims of sex, tra sex trafficking or not. And so um, basically what would happen is the detectives would just like go through, you know, and I'm not, it literally would look just like um, a Craigslist ad, except for the description would be wildly different than it would be of anything you ever saw on Craigslist. 
and um, they would click on them and there'd be these pictures and these men and women both and various states of undress. And they would just kind of try to figure out who they thought maybe was underage. And then they would set up a, and I quote, date. And then they would meet at a hotel. And um, then um, I don't know how, how much you guys know about prostitution, but the crime of prostitution isn't actually a sex act. It's the agreement to have a sex act. So once the agreement is made, the crime has been completed. And so at that point in time, you're supposed to, the officer's supposed to call in the backup. There have been some issues, you know, along the way where we were like, you don't know, you don't actually have sex with them. That's not, we don't do that. Um, not the unit that I was with. Okay. But like past, we were just like, oh my God. That is so, frightening. Oh, well, I can't, that's a whole, again, another, yeah, yeah. Another day. that's definitely an SVU episode <laughs> somewhere. Oh, for sure. Um, so anyway, and then once they, um, would agree to it, then the other officer would come in and they would try to determine, is this a situation where someone is being forced into this or are they under the age of 18? Because if you're under the age of 18, it doesn't matter. And I'm going to throw up the air quotes again. If it's consensual, mm-hmm. you, you can't consent as um, anybody under the age of 18 cannot consent to that. And so then, you know, an investigation starts and trying to determine who it is that is um, prostituting them essentially. Now the detectives, I have a really horrible potty mouth and the detectives, used to um, joke with me that they thought it'd be really funny for me to do the, what they call the reverse stings where the female detectives go out on the street and men stop and or women or whoever, I guess. Um, and I was like, I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> My boss would not be happy. So we did not do that. But. Um, so is it most, so kind of breaking up I guess, is it like stings mostly? Like, are you prosecuting trafficking like rings or is it individuals and is it all kind of undercover like that? Um, so human trafficking is, it's it's very interesting and it doesn't always look the same. And I think that that's the biggest issue we have in the United States with human trafficking is that people think it looks a certain way and that's not how it looks. Um, I think a lot of people picture the movie Taken and, or like, I'll be on Facebook and somebody like, there's a guy in a weird truck at Walmart and he's at, no, <laughs> no, that's not, I mean, he's probably weird and probably up to no good, but more than likely he's not going to kidnap your child and sell them into sexual slavery, more than likely, no. What it actually looks like within our own communities and certainly here within Indianapolis is um, the victims are typically vulnerable youth. And so what a trafficker does is they hone in on what is the vulnerability here. And it usually falls within one or two, one or two things, love and or money. If they come from a home that has no financial stability and this person is buying them shoes and getting their nails done and their hair done. And it's, you know, it sounds silly, but it's not. If that's a kid who's never seen that kind of thing before. Um, Or, you know, oftentimes people who don't have male figures and so they will become, they become whatever it is they think that kid is missing. Whatever that hole is, they try to fill it. And once they have done that, these kids are doing things that they never thought that they would be doing. And, you know, it's not like they come up to them most of the time and be like, okay, I'm going to pay you. Well, they don't actually usually pay that much, but like, you're going to give 17 blowjobs today and I'm going to pay you this. So I'm going to go to, that's not how it looks. They figure out what it is and they groom them much the same as any sexual um, offender grooms a victim and their family and their community. They groom them. And then 
it's like little by little. And like, they just slowly get to a point until one day they wake up and they're doing things that never thought they'd be doing. And so that's what it looks like. Now it can be a very sophisticated operation. It can be a two bit punk out there doing dumbass stuff, but you know, they're, uh, there, we have a huge issue with illicit massage parlors, the happy ending, so to speak. Um, and the problem there is oftentimes they are, those are the most you see where we have like foreign born um, victims. And oftentimes they are sold the American dream. It's really sad. They may come from a very poor village and they're told you go to America and you can work in somebody's home or you can give massages or you can do nails or whatever it is. And you're going to make an honest paycheck and you can send it back here to help take care of your family. And of course, you know, everyone jumps at the opportunity and then they get here and they farm them out across the United States and it's not what they were told. And so they may put them in a massage parlor and it's not quote unquote forced, but um, they'll say, Oh, well, you can leave if you want. Um, but I've got your, all of your ID and your visa and um, you owe me some exorbitant fee for getting you here. And, um, oh, by the way, the police are corrupt and the government's corrupt and you're just going to be deported, and, you know, with the way that things have gone with immigration last few years, I think it got even scarier for them. And so they just did it because they didn't feel like they had any choice. Or if that didn't work, they would threaten harm to their family back home. And what's, what's a police officer or even a federal agent here going to tell them? I, I can't, I cannot guarantee you that your family will be safe. Well, what are they going to do? Yeah. That's difficult. Wow. That's rough. So I have a question about when you're saying like sex trafficking and prostitution, are those things like, can they be the same or also not? Like yes. yes and no. As a lawyer, it depends. Um, so <laughs> I firmly 100% believe that the word prostitute and child should never be in the same sentence. And I think culturally, we agree. <laughs> thank you. We're getting better culturally. I think at, we've talked about, I've talked about this all the time that we're starting to see the shift where people are, it's becoming more normalized to talk about these things. Um, and you're seeing, you know, documentaries on Netflix and other places where people are taking notice that um, the victims so often are vilified or um, whether it be by their peers or in the media. I have a presentation I do that has just all these clips of news anchors saying things like child prostitute or calling Jeffrey Epstein's victims prostitutes. They were 14 years old, like yeah. no. And so there is prostitution. Sure, there are people who um, are prostitutes. There's, I don't even call, I don't even like that word actually, I use commercial prostitutes. No, is every person who's a commercial sex worker being trafficked? No, um, but if you're under the age of 18, 100% you are. It just by definition, and you know, teenagers are dumb in the first place. Like if I think back to all the dumbass stuff I did when I was a teenager, it's a hard enough period of time, and then you stack something like this onto it, and oftentimes those kids are the ones who have been through hell and back already. And so, um, you know, it, it, it angers me that anybody has ever said those kinds of things about them. And I, they, they, they are being victimized, period, even though they don't identify that way oftentimes. Then you do have other adults who are being trafficked if they're being forced into it. Um, and then we have another crime in Indiana called promoting prostitution, which is essentially supposed to be like if the person who is being pimped out 
is okay with it essentially um in my experience most of the time no one's really okay with it but uh so no i mean it 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 doesn't necessarily yes yes and no it's a horrible way to answer that question but it's so convoluted and such a complex issue absolutely and that definitely helps clear it up somewhat for sure there's mud over here (laughs) no it really does um how long does it i mean i'm sure the answer is like it depends but how long does it take to prosecute people for trafficking well you're right it does depend the (laughs) investigations have to be pretty um thorough these are extremely difficult cases in my experience i've tried like all kinds of different cases as a prosecutor and i was i was a public defender before i was a prosecutor so tried lots of cases and it is my belief and perhaps i'm biased at this point but crimes that have any kind of sexual nature are the most difficult to try and human trafficking is even more difficult than the rest of them um oftentimes like we were talking about a minute ago victims aren't cooperative they don't want to anything to do with it because they haven't made that connection yet in their heads and so i always said the thing you have to do first and foremost is create time and space between the victim and the trafficker and then you can't shove information down their throat. You can't go to them and be like, you're a victim. Don't you see what he's doing to you? Mm-mm. That's not effective. And these are oftentimes kids who have had people talking at, like that, at them their entire lives. And you don't do that. You need to talk to them and listen to them. And then I would just like kind of lay little, like lay ideas out and then leave. And things like, well, how much money did you actually get? And they would be like, well, I didn't get any money, but he took me to the mall. He did this, that, and the other. And I was like, that's not fair. And then that was it. And then you, you had to come to that realization on your own. That's all of us. I mean, how many times did my mom tell me to stop doing dumb shit when I was in high school? And I was like, you don't know anything. And then I was like, she was right. Um, Yeah. A lot of like, why are you dating that guy? (laughs) Right. Uh, I probably still have that problem. (laughs) He's cute. Um, So it, it, takes a while the investigations take a little longer oftentimes because we try to get a lot of those corroborating pieces of evidence because if the victim doesn't want anything to do with it we try really hard to build um what's called an evidence-based prosecution so that if we could try to go forward without testimony from the victim that we could and oftentimes you can't but you got to try and so it takes a while sometimes to put that together and then so you've got the investigation and then in terms of the prosecution um in Indiana, I would say if those are they're pretty high level of felonies. If it's a minor um, victim, anywhere from six months to a year is probably more toward a year a lot of the time, depending on what court you're in, what judge you have. But again, since we live in the age of COVID, I don't know, like a long time, and it's hard because. Sometimes the witnesses disappear and the longer it takes, oftentimes the worse the case will be for the prosecutor because you may not have a witness on even Friday that you had on Tuesday, let alone in July when you had them in February. So you want justice delayed, certainly can be justice denied. You want it to get through as quickly as you can, but um, sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. Yeah. Um, So in your job as a prosecutor or your current position like do you ever get um like intimidated or scared by like people that you're you know uh in court with or um that you have to depose 
No, I probably should a few times. But you know what's interesting? I was having a conversation about this not too long with one of my friends. Most of the time, um, serious offenders, and I'm not talking just about sex crimes, but people who've done some bad things, they don't really remember the prosecutor because they only see the prosecutor a couple times here and there in court. They blame their attorney. Um, that's who they're mad at a lot of the time. When I was a public defender, I was far more concerned about things than I was as a prosecutor, that's which is really, really interesting. Interesting, because that's the like exact opposite that I would have thought. But totally. how you're laying it out totally makes sense. It just wow, that hadn't occurred yeah, to they're me. They're mad at them, and it's like, man, they did everything they could for you. Like they they went a lot of times. These are real, they're really good attorneys. A lot of public defenders are really good attorneys. Um, they just their volume of caseload is just insanity, and um, they're some of the most passionate, driven committed people I've ever met in my life because that is a thankless job nobody is like oh the public defenders and frankly they should be because they play a very important role um the whole system has checks and balances and you know that person is there to make sure that the constitution is protected and that others who are in positions of power are not stepping out of line as we know that people do unchecked power you know with what is, is the, what I always call it the, the Spider-Man rule with great power comes great responsibility. Great responsibility. <laughs> but it's true though. It's true. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they have a really important job. And, um, but that is, in my experience, that's been the reality of it. Not that people haven't threatened, you know, I've heard lots of jail calls where I've been called every name under the book, but I don't know, it didn't bother me. That's good. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you have to have kind of like a thick skin. You develop a line of work. <laughs> You're not going to last if you don't. Um, so I, we read that you helped develop and implement this statewide sexual assault kit tracking system. Can you just tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So when I was the domestic violence sexual assault resource prosecutor for the state, one of the things I did too is I would go, I would help write laws and I would go testify in front of the legislature about things that needed to change and um, try to help them figure things out. But um, one of the things that has been a big issue in the last, you know, 10 or so years, I would say, is a backlog of rape kits around the country. Everybody calls them rape kits. The technical name is sexual assault evidence kits or something like that. But essentially, there was a huge issue and um, we were pretty lucky. I think that in Indiana, it wasn't nearly as bad as it was in some other places. Detroit had like some ungodly number. Um, and most of the ones in Indiana, the way that those work, the way the law is, if you go to the hospital and you have this examination done, which is a terribly invasive examination, by the way, last hours, and you get to make the call. It is your choice. Do you want to report or do you not want to report? And that medical facility will abide by whatever your decision is. And they will tell you, if you, don't, if you do not want to report now, you have a year to do it. And after a year, by law, that kit could be destroyed. And so the way it's supposed to work is they should be able to call. Now, I can tell you, as of two years ago in Marion County, um, they would keep them for two years. I don't know if they've changed since the system's gone into place. But a lot of other counties, a lot of the smaller ones, I think that they would just put them on the shelf and then they would just stay there forever, um, which, as it turns out, ended up not being a bad thing because since the kit got put or the system got put into place before that, we had an audit done where the law enforcement agencies were supposed to go in and count how many kits they had in their property rooms. And some of those property rooms are very organized and some of them 
or not. Um, and so they were bringing out all these kits and they're like, okay, is the, and they had to go through them. Honestly, they had to go through them individually and figure out, is there something here that we can test? And sometimes there were. And so that coupled with, there was a law that was passed a few years before the tracking system. They said that anybody who is arrested on a felony, their DNA was taken. Um, now that's been very highly controversial. Um, defense attorneys are not happy about that. I'm not going to open that up, but, um, because of that, they were testing these kids and a lot more people were popping up because their DNA had been taken upon arrest. And so they were catching some serial predators because those kids got tested. And now, um, so the system is to serve a couple of different purposes, again, checks and balances, because there are horror stories. We had a case where up in Lake County, a woman did everything right you know she reported and the suspect was somebody who had been to prison before it and the detective left the file sitting on his desk and another person got raped <clears throat> like over a weekend or something <clears throat> and had he been doing his, his due diligence that would not have happened and so had the prosecutor known that that kit had been taken then perhaps things had moved on a little bit more quickly but, um, so you want the checks and balances, make sure everybody's doing their job, but also a victim should know where it is. And that's something that I think a lot of people in the criminal justice system still struggle with is remembering that this is this person's life. And while it is my job and I am passionate about it, I'm going to go home today and it's not going to follow me home necessarily. It does actually, but you know, like this is pervasive in these people's lives. It takes over your life and to have your body so violated like that. And then the people who are supposed to be helping you through it won't even tell you what's going on with your case or whatever. And so now you have an implement by which they can get on a computer and be like, okay, my kit has been taken to the lab. All right, now I know where it is. Or my kit got tested, great. Now I can call the prosecutor and say, hey, what's going on with that? Or I can call the detective or whatever it is. And so um, it is designed to be able to, you know, just, I think it's another tool that helps them be back in control because control has been taken away from them. Somebody completely violated their body. And so now it, I think it's all of our job to make sure we're helping to restore that and helping them in their overall sense of wholeness. Absolutely. That's a really like impressive system. I'm so glad to know that we have that now. Yeah. I agree. Um, so sort of in the same line of like reporting, um, you know, a lot of survivors don't come forward and don't choose to press charges. Why do you think that is? And how can we change that? Because I feel like there's stigma around it. Well, the vast majority of people don't come forward. Um, well, I can give you one example. If you go online, when you see something in the news about somebody molesting somebody or somebody raping somebody and go read the comments. Yeah. And that tells you why, because they, it immediately the knee-jerk reaction is well, what did what was she drinking like you know what was going on and they blame them if you look at any stories with celebrities who have been accused of doing something um people are, at first are always with them um have you guys seen the netflix documentary audrey and daisy no um I watched it yet it's it's really heart-wrenching, but it basically yeah. it's the story of kind of parallel stories of two girls who as teenagers are raped by boys who they thought they were their friends. And right. one of them commits suicide very quickly because um, of the social media, of all the stuff that was going around. I don't want to ruin all this for you, but the other one, it's tragic. 
Mm-hmm. And I actually, in my podcast this morning, I just interviewed the director of that film. And he also directed Athlete A, which is the film on the USA yeah. Gymnastics. He's, it was amazing. And I think he was like, can we go off now? Cause like I have things to do, but I'm like asking all these questions, but um, <laughs> like, no, I need more. I know. And like, and, or if you've heard of the Steubenville rape case, it was the same thing. Teenage girl drunk. Yeah. And I teach extensively on that. And I just throw up all of those social media posts whore got what was coming. Well, don't get drunk. She's a slut. She's passed out. <laughs> like, and you know what, but for the grace of God, go I, I mean, I liked to drink when I was in college and you know, like any one of us who it could easily be anybody anytime. Absolutely. And- it's like, it's, I look back at what, things that I did in college. I'm like, I was like drunk on bathroom floors. Like there. It's, there's absolutely no reason that this happened to my friend and not me. Like, it's just luck of the draw. Absolutely. And so I think that that's a big part of it. Um, People see that, you understand that. And I think it's a cultural issue. This is the way things are looked at. And I think so many, and this is especially for female victims, and this is not to say that men aren't victimized too, because they are. But I think so many females, even to themselves, their first reaction is, what did I do? Like, what was it I did wrong that made him think that? Because the vast majority of assaults are by someone you know, whether it be an intimate partner, a friend, an acquaintance, you know, a date, something like that. And so I, almost every single time women say, well, if I hadn't done X, Y, or Z. And yeah. the conversation I usually try to have with people at that point is I say, okay, do you have a sister? Do you have a daughter? Things like that. And they're like, yeah. I'm like, if this happened to your sister, would you think that? And they're like, hell no. Right. Hang him high, you know. I'm like, why don't you grant yourself the same grace? Because it is the same damn thing. But it's yeah. really hard for us. I think the way that we have just been raised, and the way that the culture is. I, again, I do think that we are experiencing a cultural shift, and we are moving in the right direction. But we have a long way to go. Yeah, I think you're right. There is something about like how our brains are conditioned to just like take blame immediately. Mm-hmm. Um. So what are maybe some like legislative or policy changes that need to happen or are happening just for victims' rights? Um, as far as victims' rights in Indiana go, like I would say over the past three years, they have gone farther than they have in the past 30. Um, I think in 2018, we got a comprehensive victims' rights package signed into um, law that just did, it was just like a bunch of different things. Therapy dogs allowed in court, um, or just a comfort item, if it's a, like a little blanky, things like that. Because some judges weren't laying them in because they said it could prejudice the jury. I was like, oh, my God. Um, I'm trying to think what all we did in that one. There's a bunch of different. So we wrote, rewrote the human trafficking code. This last year, they Indiana was one of only, shoot, how many was it? Two or three states that allowed basically unfettered death positions of child victims. And nobody else in the country is doing that. Like You have to have show a good reason because these kids, if they've been victimized, they undergo what's called a forensic interview. And where a, tra- a trained individual, like a, a nice person, not like a cop or anything like that, has been trained in how to ask them what happened, but like in an open-ended way so that they're not planning anything or coaching them. They just let the kid talk, but they do it in such a way that the child hopefully feels comfortable. And it's not like a scary police officer or something like that. And so there's already this comprehensive, thorough interview done. And so why are we putting these kids through this again and this deposition where the defense attorney can really ask anything that they want? And some of those get really bad. Um, I've had a couple knockdown dragouts in those because 
I felt like people were being disrespectful and harmful to children. I'm like, no, we're just not doing it. We can go to the, talk to the judge about it, but they can't do that now. Now they have to file a motion um, specifically saying, this is the reason why, like there's a reason here in this case that I need to do it. That was a huge one. And then this year right now, there is um, a bill up that um, makes the rape statute better. It has to do with consent and because the rape statute is, is, is written. Eh. Um, but the big problem in my opinion, 100% right now is statutes of limitation. Um, they're very convoluted. They're different for criminal versus civil. But for, for an adult victim of a sex crime, they have two years from the date of the harm, two. So if there's a criminal prosecution, think about it right now. If somebody is victimized during quarantine and they're being prosecuted and it takes two years for the prosecution to get over with and they, they don't even, you're not there. like where your head is at like who the hell's thinking about suing somebody nobody and then you wake up one day and you realize hey i need i need some help and you call me and i say i'm sorry your statute of limitations is expired why is that the deadline i don't know but it is what it is and well, for children knows. after two years they stop uh being sexual predators and they just stop right, right, people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um for kids it's your 25th birthday. Now, if you look at the numbers on that, a third of kids tell while they're still younger. A third of kids never tell. And the other third, and these are like rough numbers, obviously. Um, the average age of disclosure, though, is 52. So the statute runs on your 25th birthday, and the average age of disclosure is 52. I can't do anything for those people. And there's a huge push to keep the law the way it is, and it comes down to money. And it's two industries. It's the insurance industry because they don't want to pay all those claims out. And it's the Catholic church. Yeah. Because they yeah. don't want to pay those claims out either. And the Catholic church continues to not do right by these children. And I'm not trying to offend anybody who's Catholic. I mean, a lot of my friends are Catholic. Okay. I was raised Catholic. And this is literally the reason that I like don't go to church anymore. It's, I, I know devout Catholics who have considered leaving the church because yeah. they're just so disgusted by it. And I'm like, well, when you tithe, where's your money going? Yeah, no, lit literally. Like it's, uh. so because of that, it keeps getting shut down every year. So we've tried the last three years in Indiana. We've um, become um, really close with uh, a child abuse protection think tank out of Philadelphia called Child USA. They have sort of led the movement nationally to try to get these statutes of limitations changed because they're completely arbitrary and they really help no one. And the data shows that when those statutes get changed, it does, um, it prevents it because secrecy breeds these problems. And when you sweep it under the rug and you keep it quiet or you move that priest or you move that teacher or you move that doctor, well, then they keep doing it. And so you're helping the perpetrator, even if you think that you're just trying to like protect the integrity of your institution, you're not. Because someday that's gonna blow up on, in a public way and people are gonna know. I mean, the, the Catholic Church is really just the poster child example for it because it was on a, it was prolific and um, ongoing for so long. But that kind of stuff happens all of the time. It's crazy. You guys are like, wow, I'm really glad that I invited her on here to depress us. Shaughnessy, I could talk to you like forever. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, we have to like wrap this up, but I still have so many questions. <laughs> really happening. You know, obviously I've known that this is a problem, but just some of the 
things that you're telling me, I'm like, that's crazy. Why can't we change that? So no, we really appreciate it. Um, to shift gears a little bit before we wrap up, we um, if someone is maybe in law school right now, or maybe they're in a different field and they're wanting to get into like victim advocacy or specialize in this after law school, do you have any um, advice or resources for someone interested in a career in this? Yeah, I, whatever it is, just get involved, like go volunteer somewhere, um, whatever it is, whatever path you want to go down. I have found that if you just reach out and ask people, they'll say yes, they'll meet with you. I mean, I meet with young people all the time, college age, high school age, uh, even law school. And I'm like, well, what do you want to do? And then I'm like, find somebody who's good at that. And then just go ask them if you can help them because they're probably going to say yes. And if you, they're doing this kind of work, they're probably completely overworked and get that practical experience and make those relationships. Because what you will find, I think this is true probably in any field, is it is those relationships is what will open more doors for you. I've done a shit ton of volunteer work and those are, it's because of those things that I've done that I have met other people who want to be change makers and want to, you know, change things on a bigger level. And that's where you find your next step from, in my opinion. And I mean, that's how it's happened with like every job I've ever had. And, um, you know, find a mentor who's doing it the right way and who will teach you how to do it the right way, because that'll take you so much farther than I think that anything else, that practical experience given to you by someone who you can respect and admire and know that they're ethical. Um, and so anybody, if anybody, you know, listening to this wants to get involved in any facet of sexual abuse or sexual assault, you can share my contact information with them. I'd be happy to talk to them. I usually can send them to somebody with them, whatever, you know, desired field they have and get them started. Thank you. We really appreciate that. Um, and then also, do you have advice for, because so our, listener base is mostly women. Um, do you have any advice for women who have survived assault or like what to do if a friend comes to them and tells them that they were assaulted? Because that's a pretty common experience, I think, for women. As a friend or a loved one, I think that the best single best thing you can do is be present in whatever way it is that they need you to be present maybe they need you to sit beside them on the couch and not talk maybe they don't even want to be in the same place but they want to just talk on the phone about whatever maybe they need a shoulder to cry on it's everybody processes trauma differently and um i think just trying to be in tune with what they need and it, it will not be easy um most of the time and just, just, just be there for them is really all it is. I know it sounds so simple, but I think that that the simple answer is the right answer. And, um, it's kind of the same thing in terms of survivors, you know, it's different for everyone. And, um, but I always tell, especially young women, please get into counseling. Cause it may not seem like it right now. You're like, I'm fine. You know, it's not really affecting me. And maybe it's not but probably down the road in some way it will. It may manifest in some different way. You may have issues with intimate relationships. Um, it may be, you know, depending on what happened to you, it's just gonna look different. And so it's never gonna hurt to sit. I'm a big believer in therapy anyway. It's never gonna hurt to just sit down and talk about it. It isn't. I mean, it might hurt, but like it's in, in the long run, I think it is so important on someone's path to healing and trying to live with it for the rest of their lives, um, getting that help. And I mean, I know that it is, like you said, expensive and 
I, again, I don't ever tell anyone no or turn them away. I'm like, okay, well, what are your issues right now? Like, what are the things that we can try to find somebody who can help you with that? If I can't help you, I will send you to someone who I think is the right person to help you. If you're having legal issues, you know, to a legal aid, things like that. There are a lot of really good people in this community and most communities, I think, who are willing to step up and help. And so, you know, taking that first step sometimes I think is um, important. And in terms of legislative change, I, I actually founded a group this year called ELRIS. It's Legislative Reform for Indiana Survivors. And it's essentially a network of survivors and allies who are trying right now, the goal is to try to get those SOLs changed. And so it's a concerted effort to you to call their lawmakers because it does actually make a difference if they keep hearing from people and to use the power of the media. The media is very powerful and getting those stories out to people is so important and they're really starting to pick up on this. There's going to be two big stories coming out in Indianapolis in the next few weeks. Um, one about a serial predator who's a teacher and one about uh, on the statutes limitations. So, um, you know, having those relationships with them is important, but that group Elris is um, I think something that's going to prove to be a driving force in the next few years. <laughs> I, so I'm a former high school teacher in the, in the area. So now I'm like, oh my God. It's not good. Look at which uh, I, I like, okay. I'm not even going to get into like teaching sexual assault stuff because it's just like, I can't handle it. It's, <laughs> it's so frustrating that it happens. And then it's so frustrating that the, there's like also this weird pop culture obsession with it. And I'm like, hmm, maybe, maybe we should stop like telling this narrative and then maybe anyway make a difference absolutely absolutely i think when you see things just in general in the media like uh like a you know a retelling that just normalizes those Mm -hmm. things rather than whatever they think their purpose is so totally understand um before we go i know you mentioned that you have a podcast as well we'd love to hear more about that um and then any other um things that you have going on or or things that you want to direct our listeners towards um thanks so yeah we have a podcast it's called support for survivors we just started our second season um essentially the first season i just speak with like uh, some senators and psychologists survivors themselves sexual assault nurse examiner, just different people who are within the field, um, kind of talking about what they're doing to try to help and how things look. Cause I, what I've figured out a lot along the way is that there are major gaps in resources. So we're trying to fill those. And it feels like nobody ever knows what the hell anybody else is doing. And so it, it was supposed to be a resource so people can understand that. Cause sometimes people kind of butt heads and it's like, well, we're, we're all on the same team. Okay. Like I understand that your goal is this and my goal is this, but at the end of the day, we all want the same thing. So let's have a little bit more understanding about what each one of us is doing and how we can do better to work together. And then the second season, we've kind of switched gears a little bit because just like we've been talking about um, all night, we have a serious lack of awareness when it comes to crimes of sexual violence in terms of human trafficking. What even is it? Or what what happens to the brain when someone has experienced trauma? And so the way that the story comes out isn't chronological and the right questions to ask and understanding they're not lying just because this detail might be different from this detail. And then um, 
what to look for and what to do. And so I am a firm believer that people learn better through storytelling. And so this season we're doing things a little bit differently where we're educating people by using um, famous cases essentially. So right now we're doing a series on the Jeffrey Epstein um, cases. So we published an episode last week that just kind of talked about the facts. We're gonna have an episode with um, the civil attorney who has represented those victims, a lot of those victims since 2008. And then we have the director of the Netflix film coming on on that one. Then we're going to do one on Larry Nasser, where we have the Indie Star investigative team who broke the story originally. And I already have recorded the Netflix documentary director of that one. And I think we're going to have one of the gymnasts able to come on. We're going to do Bill Cosby. We have one of the prosecutors, things like that. So people who are actually on the ground in the trenches on these cases who can help explain what this looks like, what it means, what you can do, and you know how we can all do better going forward is the goal. So um, anybody who wants to tune in and listen to that would be really cool. We're just trying to get the word out there. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing and for doing the, this podcast. Like that is just above and beyond such a great resource for people. So um, thank you for that, truly. And thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it and uh, definitely um, have a new found uh, understanding for this field for sure. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you guys um, taking the time to ask me and listening. I think that this is how this is important. This is how um, we affect change. So thank you for doing what you're doing. Thanks, Honesty. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Girls Just Wanna. If you've made it this far, we consider you a close and personal friend. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Interested in being a guest? Send us an email at girlsjustwannapod at gmail.com. We love you. We love you. you. Bye. Bye.